how many of you have actually studied your family history and family origin? Yes, very good. It is a it is coming out right. A lot of people are working through their history and trying to find it and figure it out, especially with the, all the tools available, such as AncestryTree.com. You get online and you can find a lot of different facts about family history. Now, today what we're going to be talking about, we're starting a new series, and it's called The Star of Bethlehem. And maybe you have, um, uh, maybe you have ever maybe watched some of the, the TV shows where they go through a famous person's history, uh, a famous person, I don't know what's going on. All right. Well, if it keeps going, we'll grab another mic in just a second. All right. I've got the antenna out. Maybe there's just some magnetic field, force field in the air. I don't know what is going on. Well, uh, maybe if you watch some of the lifestyles of the rich and famous or e-entertainment or even ESPN uh, 30 for 30, they, they take famous people, famous characters, and they go behind the scenes and they look at the, the history of somebody. And today what I want to do is I want to start us off, as we start off the Star of Bethlehem, I want us to look at the, the lineage and the history of Jesus. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 1. You're also going to need to flip over to Luke chapter 3. We're going to be going back and forth between the two today. And we're going to be looking at the, the lineage of, his, uh, of, of Jesus, the, the ancestral roots. Now, for some people are going, man, history, I love history. I can't wait to get into this. I'm excited about going through the history. For others, you're going, ugh, history, how are we going to, how is this going to be positive? How is this going to be a good thing for us? And you're almost shutting out right now. So I want to encourage you. There's going to be several things today that hopefully... Uh, maybe we'll inspire you and challenge you and encourage you. In your bulletins today, you have the, the, the handout, and you'll be able to look at that and be able to follow along and fill in some of the information as we go along. Now, Matthew chapter 1, what we're wanting to do is this, Luke chapter 3. We're wanting to understand, we're going to read out of Matthew 1 in just a minute when we stand. We want to, to understand, is Jesus really the Messiah? There are many people who would claim to be the Messiah, even today, we have self-proclaimed messiahs. People who would say, I'm the Messiah, I am Jesus, or I'm the new Jesus. And so the question becomes, are they really? You see, Jesus is more than just a self-proclaimed messiah. Matter of fact, there are many different ways in which we'll find evidence that backs him up as being the messiah. One of the things is that the messiah would need to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament. Another thing that would need to happen is if you're really truly the Messiah, your bloodline and your ancestral roots need to prove and give backup credence to the fact that you can be the seed of David. And so what we want to see today is what we're going to see is we're going to see that Jesus not only is able to claim that he's the Messiah, but his ancestral roots back up and give credence to who he says he is. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to go to Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to ask that you go down to um, verse 16, and we're going to start off, and this is what we're going to see. You just saw it illustrated on the video for you, and we're going to end right here in verse 16 and 17. And here's what it says. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from the from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the, the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for your love, your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. God, as we, we dive into your word today, I pray that you would, you would help us 
Help us to hear what we need to hear. Give us the ears to hear. And God, I do pray that you would just uh, kind of remove the distractions. We're in the Christmas season when there's many other thoughts that are just filling our minds. And God, we ask that you would right now during this time, would you speak to us? Show up in a mighty way, God. And I pray that you would challenge our hearts and that, God, you would encourage us so that, Father, we walk away from this place knowing that we've heard from you. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right, so here's what we have. Before we really begin to look at some of the intricacies of Matthew's account and Luke's account, we need to understand why history is important, why the ancestry line is important. The importance of the, the ancestral roots goes all the way back, if you go all the way back to even Genesis, and you start reading. If you've ever tried to read through the, the Old Testament, it's easy to kind of read through the New Testament. You get only short segments of this person had this person, this person had this person. But when you get into Genesis and Exodus, and then you get into some Leviticus and Numbers, you get into a long, long, long list. Have you ever stopped in your Bible reading? You get to those lists, and you're like, oh, forget it. So-and-so had so-and-so, so-and-so had so-and-so, and you get... It just, it's overwhelming because we don't even know these names. They don't make sense to us. And so we say, God, it doesn't even seem like there's any spiritual benefit that's going to happen. It's a lot better to read Proverbs or Psalms because you get encouraged, right? And so here's where we're at. We want to understand why it's important. The, the Jews had an incredible system for making sure that they, they traced back their, their history. And they, they kept great records. Matter of fact, when Moses was writing the first five books of the, the Old Testament... What did he do? He goes all the way back to Adam, and he begins to say, hey, Adam had so-and-so, and and he begins to walk us through, and we get all the lineage of how the lines came all the way down. The Jews would keep very accurate records. Why? Because it was important for their inheritance. When they came into the promised land, certain tribes would get certain land in certain areas, and so even if they they married and there wasn't the son, a son to pass on the, the land to, there was a point where there were uh, some of the daughters came to Moses and said, Moses, hey, we don't want this land to pass off into other, um, to other relatives. This was our inheritance. Is there a way in which we can have it? He said, yes, as long as you marry within the tribe because the land had to stay. And so it was very important to follow the, the ancestral line. So it's not only for land, it was for um, taxation purposes. You remember um, Joseph and Mary, they're traveling away from their hometown to Bethlehem because they knew where their history lied. They're, they're, they were out of the house of David, and so they had to go back so that they could be taxed. So the, the land was extremely important. The heritage was extremely important. Matter of fact, the Jews kept such great records that you, you will find that they, they went all the way from Adam up until the time of Babylon when they were captured and exiled over into Babylon in 586 B.C. when they were captured over there, and they went to Babylon for 70 years. The records became lost and jumbled, and when they came back after uh, the 70-year exile, they began to rebuild the temple, they began to rebuild the walls, and then they went back through all the history to make sure they lined up and they had all the ancestral roots taken care of. It's extremely important for them. They were waiting for the Messiah, and in order to have the Messiah, they needed clean, clear tracks to know who was of which house, what people could be priests, what people could not be priests, all were dependent on who your parents were and what family you came out of. And so it was extremely important for them. Then you get into um, 70 AD, after Jesus, 
70 AD, Roman Titus, he actually came into Jerusalem and he destroyed all the public records. He destroyed the temple, he destroyed Jerusalem, and when he destroyed the public records, what happened was that the Jews lost a lot of the ancient history. Most Jews today can actually trace their heritage back to 70 AD. After that, it begins to become a little fuzzy because the public records were lost, the public records were destroyed. Now, even though there's public records, like we can go down to the courthouse and we can say, hey, I would like, the, I would like a document that proves my, that I had my kids in this county. We can go and say, oh yes, I need the public record for when I actually married Jamie. Where did we get married? And we, we can find those public records. Now, here's what's happened. Since 70 AD back, the records were destroyed. What they now have to do in Jerusalem, we went into, when we got to visit in Jerusalem, we went into the, the Temple Institute. And what they are doing is they are going back through not just the, um, the public records from 70 AD and on to today, but they're actually going from family to family and asking the families, hey, did you keep track of this? Do you have this in some historical file? And they're trying to trace back beyond the 70 AD. I'll talk about that in just a minute. Now, this is all important for us to understand who Jesus is. So now we're going to look at two lists. We have two lists, one in Matthew and one in Luke. So here's what I'm going to do. I want to just give you some some illustrations of how these two lists are different. And um, one, you're going to find um, every, every candidate, every person has two different ancestral lines. You have the father's line, and then you also have the mother's line. Okay, so here we go. In your notes, uh, Matthew. Let me give you some information about Matthew's list. Matthew's list is actually joseph's roots it's joseph's joseph's history the father's roots now who is matthew writing to matthew begins um, his book chapter one he starts off from the very beginning he begins with the ancestry line why because what he's trying to do is from the very beginning he wants to give you reasons who jesus is what jesus is about he's going to give you the roots and he's going to begin all the way back with jesus all right so he's going to start with abraham why does, Abra- why does Matthew start with Abraham? He goes from Abraham to Jesus. Because Matthew's book is written to the Jews. And as he's writing to the Jews, he's wanting to prove the authentic uh, legal requirements that Jesus can be the Messiah. So he's going to go from Abraham. He wants to take all the Jews, the readers, back to Abraham because Abraham is the father of the faith. All right. He's also going to do this. He's, as he's writing the, uh, to the, his audiences to the Jews... His purpose is to prove the legal requirements for the Messiah. So Matthew's going to prove the legal requirements for the Messiah. Understanding that the legal requirements would always come from the Father's side, and it would be passed on. Now, we also know that Jesus was adopted. His earthly father was Joseph, but yet it actually was a miraculous pregnancy, right? And so what Matthew is trying to do is he's wanting to demonstrate through the legal side, as an adopted child, you are still given the rights of birthhood, of the Father, and so it's able to be passed on. So that's what Matthew is trying to do. He also, you're going to find three lists of 14 names for a total of 42 names. Now, not every name is necessarily listed in either Matthew's list or Luke's list, but he's going to give you the the highlights. He's going to give you the highlights all the way back, and he's going to make sure you see that. Now, it's interesting, when you get to David, you're going to use, he's going to trace it back through David, and it's David's son, Solomon. Remember, Solomon was the king 
All right, so he's going to trace it back through Solomon. He's going to demonstrate the grandfather. Grandfather is Jacob. And he says, and the father of Joseph. Both royal lines going all the way back. Now, interesting note, when you get over into Luke, some people have been confused and say, wait a minute, some of the names don't match up. And so they're trying to, they get confused with it. And again, I see it as two separate lists, one for the father, one for the mother. Now, once you get to David and you go backwards, the lists are the same. It's very intriguing when you look at Matthew and Luke, all right? So again, I know I'm giving you a lot of information. It's kind of, oh man, Heath, this is heavy, it's hard. Hang with me. I promise you we're going to get to some good things in just a minute. All right, let me give you some information about Luke. Um, Luke, this is Mary's roots, Mary's historical roots. Now, he begins with the credentials. When you begin looking at Luke, he doesn't start his entire book by writing about the ancestry. How does he start? Luke is a doctor, and he starts, first of all, with giving the credentials of this is something miraculous is about to happen. So he starts off in Luke chapter 1, he starts talking about a miraculous birth of the predecessor, the forerunner, the one who would come before the Messiah. And he begins to tell you the story of John the Baptist being born to an old couple who shouldn't have kids, who can't have kids. And he gives you a story, and as he moves you through, what he's trying to do is... is Luke is giving you credentials ahead of time saying this truly is the Messiah because he also has this forerunner, and so he's going to build it out for us. Luke does something else. Have you ever met somebody very analytical? Analytical minds, they, they have to give you lots and lots of facts, all right? Matter of fact, you'll see the difference. Luke is the doctor and Matthew is the tax collector. The tax collector, it looks like he kind of shaves off a few names. you got 42 names. And Luke does something very different. He goes, and he goes from Jesus all the way back to who? Adam. He gives us a large list. A large list. And he continues on. Now, Luke writes in a little bit more of a um, dramatic flair because he starts off with Jesus, but you have no idea where he's going. So you're going, where's this going to end? So he adds a little bit of drama to his writing as he begins to write it out. And he says, okay, we're starting off with Jesus. Now we're going backwards. And you're going, who's going to be in the line? It kind of builds some suspension as you're reading through the list. His audience, Luke's audience, is universal. Luke is not just writing to a Jewish audience. What he's trying to do is he's trying to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. And he's wanting to tell the story of who Jesus is. But he's going to give you a universal approach. He's, he's talking not just to the Jews, but he's talking to a worldwide audience. Now remember, Luke also is the one who, who travels with who? Do you remember he travels with Paul for a little bit and writes the book of Acts? And so as he's traveling, he's, he has a little wider audience when he writes his gospel here. The purpose is to share with everyone the Messiah. Luke has 11 lists of seven each for a total of 77 names. That's a lot of names, isn't it? 77 names versus 42. Again, what you see is that um, from David backwards, the list mirror each other in Matthew and Luke. There's a difference here, though. After David, what you see is you see the line change. Matthew writes... David through Solomon's son. Luke begins to talk about David through the third son of David, Nathan, Solomon's brother. All right, and so now we begin to see a little bit of a shift. So now the line goes through Nathan, David's son, and the grandfather is Heli. 
All right, and so we're going to talk about those in just a minute. Now, again, why is the lineage important? Let's make sure we understand so we lay the context. Matthew writes for what reason? To demonstrate the legal right. Matthew writes the legal right for who Jesus is to be able to claim that he is the Messiah. Luke writes to demonstrate the authentic royal bloodline of Jesus. Remember when Jesus begins to preach and as he begins to teach, he begins to do the miracles. One of the things that begins to happen is that the religious leaders begin to try to tear down Jesus. You remember this? They begin to try to tear down Jesus and say, Jesus can't be the Messiah. So one of the things they would do is they would look for any reason to be able to say that Jesus cannot be the Messiah. Because all the ancestral lineage would be on public record, where do you think that they would have gone first and foremost to make sure they could disprove that Jesus even could have a chance of being the Messiah? They would have ancestral roots, and they would have checked it out and made sure that is he even possible that he could do it? Now, when Jesus comes riding in on Palm Sunday and people are singing and chanting, what are they singing? Hosanna, Hosanna. And they begin to sing praise to the son of who? David. It's very intriguing. So they, it's, it's a public record and it's public knowledge that this is one who could actually be not only the legal right to be the Messiah, but also the authentic bloodline. I like the way Luke approaches this because if somebody was saying, wait, wait a minute, Jesus is adopted. Remember, you guys are claiming the, the birth and you're claiming that he didn't actually have an earthly father. Then Jesus doesn't actually have a right to be the Messiah because he doesn't have the bloodline. And what Luke does with his analytical mind is he stops the critics by saying all the way through, look, through the adoption, you've already seen it through Matthew's line. I want to give you the authentic bloodline because through Mary, Jesus actually has the bloodline that traces all the way back to David. Now, all of that to say, let's look at Matthew, if you would. I want to show you some intricacies and show you a couple of things that I find very fascinating. Now, remember, if you're writing your genealogy, you're probably going to want to take out some of those things that uh, those crazy uncles, those crazy brothers that you don't really want to let everybody else know about, all right? I, I read about this uh, well-to-do family. They decided to give their father a, an incredible present of a... a the family's history, a book of the family's history. So they actually commissioned a biographer to write all about the family history. And as they, he began to write, they did, they did say, hey, there's, there is a black sheep of the family. Um, we would like for you to not talk about Uncle George. Or if you do, we need you not to really talk about him too much because he actually committed murder and he was executed um, by um, the electric chair. So we really don't want you talking about him. And then the, the commissioned uh, writer, he actually says, no need to worry about that. I can handle it. I can report the situation in such a way that there will be no embarrassment to your father or to you. I'll merely write that Uncle George occupied a chair of applied electronics at an important government institution. He was attached to his position by the strongest ties, and his death came as a real shock. Now, I... (laughs) I would assume that that's really not real, but that's a good joke anyway to give us an understanding. We all have people in our background that would rather not be there, right? And now as we get into the the lineage and as we begin to look through it, go back to Matthew if you would. And what we're going to find is this. We're going to find people that you would not expect to actually be there. Matter of fact, in Luke's gospel, you'll never find a woman mentioned. 
But in Matthew's gospel, you're going to find what? You're going to find several women. Now, look through with hear this with me. I want to drop you down um, to, to Matthew. Let's see. Let's go down to just an interesting character here. Let's see. Go down to verse 11. Verse 10 talks about Hezekiah, Manasseh, and Amos, the father of Josiah. You remember Josiah is the one who helped. They found the book of the law, and they brought the temple back, and he begins. It's an incredible story. Josiah is one of my favorite characters of of just restoration and breaking the family cycles of of sin. Verse 11, it says, And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Now, Jeconiah... He rebelled against what Josiah, his father, had done, and he actually caused, he sinned greatly. And in Jeremiah, we find this curse that's placed on him. And it says this, that because of his sin, yes, Babylon comes in and conquers and there's taken away, but there's, in Jeremiah, there's this curse that's placed on him that no son, no ancestor of him would ever be able to actually set back on the throne again. It's an incredible curse. And here's why I bring this up. Because Matthew's is talking about the legal right, and Jesus was adopted. And so the curse wasn't actually fully in effect for Jesus because he wasn't the bloodline. But he said no son, actual son, would ever sit on the throne. And here's why I think this is incredibly important. Because God's promises will always come true. God always keeps his promise. And I think for you and me, we need to hear it over and over again. That when God speaks something, when God promises something, it is for the ages. It's not just for the moment. And for some of us, as we walk through life and as we've gone through even the Christmas season, as we're getting into the Christmas season, one of the things that we need to hear over and over again is that God keeps his promises. Now, if you would, go up to um, the first part of um, verse, uh, verse 1. It talks about the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And now he begins to walk as sir. And now I want to show you a couple of these, these, these ladies and these characters that, honestly, you would rather, rather not be in your history. Here's what it says. And Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Now, this is a shady character. This is a shady conversation. Here's what happened. Judah had a son, and he gets married. And the son dies. And by all legal rights, the wife should have been given to the next son so that they would raise up kin. But Judah was afraid that his sons, his other sons, would, be, would die as well. So instead of actually taking care of Tamar, he forgets about her and leaves her alone. Now, Tamar has this really awful scheme. She dresses up like a prostitute, and Judah sleeps with her. And out of that relationship come twins. And both of those twins are now listed here in the lineage of Jesus. Now, why would Matthew put that in? Why would Matthew want that be recorded? Because if, if anything, I would say if you're trying to prove the Messiah and you're trying to prove it to a group of people who are legalistic, the Jews, you would not want to demonstrate failures, right? But here's what I 
find fascinating throughout the entire book of Matthew. Matthew is constantly coming back and hitting people who are religious. And maybe it has something to do with Matthew being a tax collector and having found the grace of God in his own personal life that Jesus would actually invite him, an outcast, to be a part of his disciples. But Matthew demonstrates for us, even right here with Tamar, that your greatest scheme, God is able to truly, to truly forgive, and God is able to reconcile those schemes. I love the fact that Tamar, God can sanctify your greatest schemes. Look at the next one. This next one is is a fascinating woman because as you keep going, now it says that Tamar Perez, uh, verse 4, Ram, the father of Aminadab, and then the father, keep going, down to verse 5. And then we get to uh, Salmon, the father of Boaz, by who? Rahab who? Do you remember Rahab? She was a professional prostitute. Hello. In the line of the Messiah? A professional prostitute. Now, just to give you some background, Rahab was the one who... She lived in the city of Jericho, right? And the spies came in to check it out. And before the, the Joshua and the battle of Jericho, the spies came in and she protected the spies and she sent them out and she says, I'm asking for your favor. I'm asking for your grace because I believe your God is actually able to conquer this city. See, she puts her faith in God even though she's a prostitute. And when the children of Israel come back, the walls fall down. She's protected. Not only is she protected, but she actually gets her life in order. She begins to truly follow God. And look at this. She, she gets married, and then she has a son. Do you see that? She has a son, and he's not just a, a, a normal son. He's an actually godly son. I think this is important because it speaks to us about your greatest regrets. Whatever your greatest regrets in life, your, your greatest failures, you're going, man, I wish I would have not done that in my life. I wish I could have removed that. I wish I, I wish I wouldn't have made that kind of failure. I regret doing that. Your greatest regret, God can restore. Isn't that an incredible statement? I need that encouragement, don't you? I need the encouragement to say that, okay, my, my greatest regrets, God can restore, and God restores by giving her a great husband, and a godly son, Boaz. Now keep going. Boaz is the father of Obed by who? Ruth. Don't you love the story of Ruth? Ruth is the the foreigner, the Moabitess, who who lived in a foreign country, and in living in a foreign country, her mother-in-law comes from Bethlehem. Her mother-in-law goes from Bethlehem and they, they move over into Moab. And in Moab, she, she, they get married. She marries and her husband dies. Her brother-in-law dies. Her father-in-law dies. And Naomi says, I'm going back to Bethlehem. I'm going back to my people. One sister-in-law says, I'm staying. And Ruth says, wherever you go. I'm going to go. I'm going to follow whatever God you believe in. I'm going to follow that God. And she comes back. She leaves her, foreign, her, her country, comes into a foreign land, into Bethlehem. And she follows and she says, I'm going to stay with you. And I'm going to do whatever I can to help protect and take care of you. Because you are 
my family. An incredible story of which Ruth is brought in to the line of Jesus. Now, again, if we could understand it from a a legalistic side, if we could understand it from the Jewish perspective, to have a foreigner, to have an impure bloodline would, be, would speak blasphemy. We would say there's, there's no way you should actually be bringing this in. And yet Matthew, I wonder if he's just amazed by God's grace and he's just almost, I want you to see God's grace overcomes. God's grace speaks right where you think that you have the greatest failures. God's grace moves I like Ruth for the simple fact that God takes her greatest ruin, her greatest destruction, and God redeems it, and he does something so beautiful that brings her in to the bloodline. Now keep following this. Boaz and Ruth, they have Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse is the father of who? King David. Isn't that an amazing story? And Matthew continues to write, and I want to share with each one of us as we walk through, as I read through the lineage and as I read through these different people, it gave me courage and it gave me just amazement by who God is and God's grace to be able to bring in and to restore, to redeem, to sanctify, to set apart and say, hey, I love you and my grace is bigger than your sin. My grace is bigger than your greatest problem. My grace is sufficient. And he continues on. Now, Let's look at something else here. I want to move you over to Luke. Let's go over to Luke chapter 3 if you would. Let me just show you a couple things here in Luke chapter 3. Because I think um, just to see the highlights and a little bit of difference. Now remember Luke is writing and he's writing in the classical sense. So because he's writing in the classical sense, what we'll find is we'll find no ladies. No ladies ever mentioned. But Luke is giving Mary's history. So let me ask you, how would you creatively put in Mary without actually putting ladies in if you're writing in a classical sense? That's a, that's a little bit of a trouble, isn't it? It would be very tough to actually put woman in there because Jesus did not have the earthly father. So Luke is trying to walk through. And one of the things that you're going to find as Luke is telling the story, he tells the story from Mary's perspective. So you're going to get more details about who Mary is and what Mary has done and what she was feeling, how that she even sang a song. You're going to get more details because Luke is trying to demonstrate for you who Mary is. And so he writes the story um, from Mary's perspective. And you go down, and here's what he says. Jesus, uh, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years old. This is verse 23. And was, and being the son, as was opposed of Joseph, the son of Heli. Now stop right there. Why did he say the son of Heli? Wasn't he the son of Joseph? He skips Joseph completely because, again, he's writing the bloodline of Mary, and he skips Joseph completely, and he actually talks about, instead of saying Mary, he creatively puts in Mary's father. And he skips Mary, and he goes right to the bloodline and traces the bloodline from the grandfather, Heli, the son of, and he begins to walk through. Now, just so we're clear, out of all the names listed, there's 11 different lists of seven names, so you have 77 names listed right here. Look how he writes it. The son of Heli, the son of Methat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of, you see how it says the son of, 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 all the way down through. It's consistent. 
go back up to what he says here in verse 23. Being the son, as was supposed. Why did they write that in there? Because every one of the sons of, this is a little bit of Greek for you just for fun, actually had the, the article, the Greek T-O-U, two, in front of it. But when it came to Jesus, he left the son, the two, the article off, so that he highlights the fact that he was the supposed son of Joseph. He was the supposed son because he really wasn't the son and because you're going to hear about the miraculous birth in just a minute. He highlights it, and it's not just by accident. It's in all the Greek um, manuscripts going backwards. He left it off intentionally to make sure that you understood and I understood as the readers that there's something unique happening here, and he's going to draw attention to it. Now, one last thing that I want to show you. Go all the way to the end of the, end of the chapter, verse 38, and I want to show you something that I find, again, fascinating as I study this. It says, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of who? Adam. Why does Luke take such precaution to take you all the way back to Adam? Because he wants you to understand and he wants me to understand as the readers of his book that Jesus as the Messiah is human. It did not just happen by circumstance. It was not just some figment of somebody's imagination. He's given you the facts as a doctor all the way back. And he says, Jesus was real. He's not a figment of somebody's imagination. He's not some concoction to say, oh yes, we believe in some fake person. This is a real person. Jesus was 100% man. Now watch what else he does. He does something very unique. Now he says, the son of who? Do you see the last part of it? The son of God. How How was Adam born? Adam was made out of the dust, formed. God breathed. It was God who gave the life to him. And now he's highlighting one more simple fact. That Jesus is not only human, but he is truly the Son of God. God in flesh. Emmanuel, the God-man living and walking amongst us. The Messiah who can redeem because he's not only man, but he's also God. As we walk through this story today, as we walk through this lineage, I want to encourage you and challenge you that God has an incredible place in history for Jesus, not only in history, but in our lives today. I want to encourage you that whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, that God is able to redeem and to restore. That's the story of the lineage. And today we get to celebrate and we get to rejoice as our sign says out here. Rejoice. Why? Because the Messiah has come. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your blessings and your goodness. God, thank you for allowing us to go through the history line of Jesus. I pray today that you would speak into our lives. God, thank you for how that you redeem, you restore. God, how that you take our biggest failures and our biggest regrets and how that, God, you can make something beautiful out of our mess. And we want to say thank you for it. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to leave heaven, to come to this place, to offer salvation for us. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen.